0: This Talking Flutes podcast is kindly sponsored by Trevor James Flutes, making life sound beautiful. You can show them some flute love by following them on Instagram at TJ Flutes, Trevor James Flutes on Facebook and at TrevorJamesFlutes.com. Hello. I'm Claire Southworth and welcome to another edition of Talking Flutes where I'm chatting to my great friend Christopher Caliendo. Now flute players worldwide owe a huge debt of gratitude to Christopher because he's written more than 300 flute works comprising of American tangos, classical jazz, world music. His accomplishments are so impressive. He's not only a composer but a guitarist, conductor teacher and publisher. As a composer for film and television, he wrote the 20th Century Fox commissioned soundtrack to John Ford's 1924 silent film, The Iron Horse. He was also commissioned by Sony Pictures to compose a new score for the 2005 re-release of Sam Peckinpah's 1965 feature film, Major Dundee. And for the TV series, Dallas, Knott's Landing and Paradise. Which he received an Emmy nomination in 1988. Among his flute compositions are 15 sonatas, one of which, number three, I recorded on the CD Me Is Our Plays Caliendo. We had such a good chat, and I hope you enjoy listening. Well, I'm delighted to talk today to my great friend, Christopher Caliendo. Hi, Chris.
1: Hello, dear Claire. Lovely to be here. Lovely to see you, and lovely to be here.
0: Lovely to see and hear you too Um, in LA. So it's, you're early in the morning, I think at the moment, aren't you?
1: A little bit, 10.38 a.m. And I was up at 6.30 with a five-year-old attacking me, making believe he was Batman and Superman combined.
0: (laughs) Sounds absolutely wonderful. I remember those days. (laughs) So how long is it that we've known each other? Do you remember?
1: I mean, the trade show certainly would have to be, the the relationship through Miyazawa, but certainly our relationship consummated in 2017 with the 2D academy and your stunning documentary that we filmed um, as when one of the one of the 25 percentees
0: when did we record the, the your sonata
1: um, my goodness that's true uh, the sonata number 3 that was that was before the academy i i you're right um i don't remember the exact year maybe in 2014 or 15 Quite oh, a long time ago. Yeah, it was it was long enough to embrace this wonderful relationship. Uh, but yeah, it was it was a time when um, I met uh, Kathy Miller, and I said, you know, I have an idea. Uh, at the time, I I believe I had composed about six or seven sonatas, but always wanted to record them. And I said, why doesn't Cali Underworld Music Publishing uh, co-sponsor uh, finance the recording with your top three Miyazawa artists? And I had her pick them. And of course you were one of them. So I distributed the sonatas and um, we made it happen. We flew you out to Los Angeles where you recorded them at uh, Firestone Recording Studios with Brian Petsoni on piano and you recorded Flute Sonata Number 3, the um, NC of Sonata. And it was wonderful.
0: What sticks in my mind is that I was quite apprehensive about meeting the great Christopher Caliendo. And on top of that, I was, I was totally jet lagged, um, but when you walked in the room, you were, you were so cool and relaxed. And you just sat down and listened to the rehearsal. Um, and it was, um, it was, I mean, it was a very exciting time. I was, I was only in LA for something like three days. I flew in, rehearsed, recorded, flew out, <laughs> manic.
1: <laughs> it, it was a church that we rehearsed in. And it was thrilling. It was very, very exciting. I remember and hearing you play, and I loved it. And of course, Brian, you know, was is one of our star pianists. So it was, it was just a wonderful experience.
0: Now, you're a prolific composer of flute music. How did this love affair with the flute start?
1: Oh, what a question! Well. I have been blessed in my life, <clears throat> starting in the Hollywood studios as a, as a young composer through Henry Mancini. And I'll never forget my first job was writing music for Dallas. Uh, these are, I wrote the last five years of Dallas CBS with Gerald Dimmel who, who composed the theme to, to Dallas. But I'll never forget being still a student, going for my master's degree at UCLA. I entered Lorimar Studios where we recorded the shows for Dallas on the MGM lot. And lo and behold, the fluest in the 24-piece orchestra was Sheridan Stokes, and I, I just was very very fortunate to meet this child prodigy who could do things with the flute that that you know just to this day is remarkable. Um, so under his influence, after the mid cri- the crisis of the 90s, the financial crisis, I had been I, I I had created a group called Chamber Jazz, and Sheridan was the incumbent flutist. And it was basically European chamber music and American jazz together. And, and I had a wide canvas. It was just a, a wonderful group, uh, great commissions, great. We had management from Beverly Permanent in New York and we were we were doing great things. We recorded our first album at Capitol Records and all of a sudden the crisis came. And like Stravinsky between the wars and many of those composers you see orchestral commissions become chamber, commission, chamber music commissions. And I downsized under Sheridan's tutelage. He said to me, you've got these tangos that are just huge hits in, you know, in your chamber jazz uh, performances. Why don't you just write them for flute and guitar? And the flute players don't have tangos. So we did. We went into a studio, recorded um, Torbellino, the first 10 American tangos for flute and guitar. And then Sheridan, after hearing the recording, said to me, do you know about the National Flute Association? I said, no, what's that? He said, well, it's, it's this—it's this trade show that yearly moves from state to state, and it has all flutists. And why don't I apply to for the big recital and see if we can get in there and play? I said, "Great, go for it." Not, not knowing anything about this, I mean, I'm a conservatory-trained musician who wants to be the next Giuseppe Verdi, and here I am—you know—going to a, trade show, a flute trade show. But in 1998, we went to uh, it was in Phoenix, Arizona. And another thing benefited me greatly was. The, there's a Rococo-styled opera house in Phoenix. It's, it's, it couldn't have been more perfect for the show I was bringing. I, I, I flew my tango dancers out. Again, not really knowing. I'm, I'm living in L.A. for a while, so this is pretty typical. But in, in Phoenix, Arizona, and to the flute community, having my tango dancers strut through the crowds in the aisles with Caliendo on their back um, was probably very unique looking back in hindsight. But that, that audience was packed. I don't know how many flutists, but it was a packed house. And we performed and we sold, I mean, I sold about 150 CDs and about $5,000 worth of sheet music. And that's how that whole thing was born. And now I I said, uh, as a publisher, thinking like a publisher, not as a composer, but as a publisher, uh, I put out a second album of tangos. And then I said, well, why don't I explore gypsy music? The flute world doesn't have that. And that went into world music and that went into flamenco. My recent recording with Dr. Brian Luce is flamenco americano. And, and all of a sudden, looking back now, Claire, to answer your question, I'd say I've composed over 300 works for flute now uh, out of a large body of, of, of literature. Yeah,
0: That's incredible. Absolutely incredible. I must say, the tangos were the first pieces of yours that I heard, and I played them a lot. Mm-hmm. They're absolutely fabulous. And if any of our listeners have not heard them, listen now and, and go and play them because they're fantastic pieces to play. Yeah,
1: Thank you, they're, they're a lot less noty than the third flute sonata.
0: A lot less noty than the third sonata, absolutely. Um, yes, not so stressful.
1: <laughs> I want you to know that I was blessed one day, one, one national convention, um, I, was, I was always concerned because I'm not writing lots of notes for the sake of writing lot difficult music. And, and I've, I've been told, even in the Hollywood studios, you have to stay on your game when you're playing Caliendo. But I hear it unadulterated purely. And I write what I hear because if I can hear it, then I assume it can be played. And so I, I was walking in the convention one day and this, this gentleman came up to me and grabbed me by the pells and said, thank you so much for what you're doing for the flute. And he walked away. And I didn't know who he was. So someone had wa- was watching this man uh, and and I asked him, who is this? And he said, it's Peiru, uh, the Berlin Philharmonic flute player. Uh, what is his name? I'm so sorry.
0: I'm I,
1: I want to say it correctly, Perut. So I, I said to myself, oh, and this is after Andy Porter had recorded or performed the eighth flute sonata and uh, the ghost sonata. And uh, and I felt, okay, if he feels that, <laughs> That music's so okay, fun, You know, but I, 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 there's a lot of notes in my head. What can I say? I mean, but I listen to flutists play Bach, and I go, a lot of notes there too. You know.
0: Yeah. Well, what's lovely is that you write lovely tunes, and it's there's a lot of fun in your music, and that's why they're they're so attractive to play. You know, it's 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 uh, it's they they're great pieces to play, yeah. and I, I said sort of, I've I've certainly had an awful lot of enjoyment from them. Do do you have a particular process when you? When you write, I mean, what flute sonata are you on now? Are you still writing them?
1: I'm on 15. Um, The 14th one was for uh, Patricia uh, Nagel, who teaches at the École de Paris, Um, and she's going to premiere it in Sicily, of of, of all places. Um, The, yeah, there's 14 now. I'm working on the 15th one now, and I'm still going through various pitch collections. My process is... It hasn't changed since since my early days at the conservatory, where I came to a conclusion that music is nothing but variation technique. I mean, it's hard, hard work composition, but I think where the composers of merit pull from other composers, especially the young composers today who just basically, there's no longer modal counterpoint or 18th century counterpoint. They're, they're, it's all media composition and cut and paste and layered and kind of the music of I I dare say the hominid. I mean, there's a lot of interesting stuff happening in electronic music, but that whole notion of taking the smallest idea and rewriting it over and over and over again into different permutations until the intuitive process kicks in and you say, ah, I see the piece. I see the architecture. It, It would be no different than Beethoven getting up Monday morning and and sitting down at the piano, and which not consistent with his day, and he writes a folk tune, da 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 dee, da da and he says oh, that's a nice idea. And, I mean, this is typical in Mozart and Haydn's day; they they were they wrote folk tunes, um, but Beethoven was this yeah, extraordinary independent creature of nature. But he goes back the next day, Tuesday morning, and he feels very joyful and he takes that idea, da 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 and it's very German, and it's filled with a march, and it's springtime, and it's uh, triumphant, right, and then the th- maybe Wednesday, he has a bad day, right, uh, something happens in his life, he doesn't, he can't pay his rent, which was typical in his day, and he decides to write, di da di da and now you're in the minore, but at some point, Beethoven writes out these permutations, and then his genius is how do I chronicle these permutations into a cohesive whole that makes powerful sense, that it remains significant and contemporary for all years, for all ages, for all times, and that's where you get the greatest composers. It's chronicling those permutations into something really fabulous. Wow,
0: that's it's, that's fascinating. Thank you, thank you, Christopher, for that. Now, you. Promote yourself now as a, as a composer of world music. How would you describe world music?
1: I, I describe world music as, in its initial stages, if you're a composer, to investigate the indigenous music of various cultures. Uh, most of this music is improvisatory by nature. Most of this music is played on primitive instruments. Uh, if you, I think it's absolutely incredibly vital that musicians, uh, Classical musicians especially learn um, world music to broaden their performance horizons, not only to understand um, it'll affect their vibrato, it'll affect their special effects, um, but ultimately it will engage them in, in a different type of uh, of performance um, and a different type of interpretation of music. I mean, if you look at Mozart, da 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 dee da 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 there's this music, classical music, there are times when the music becomes frivolous and uh, improvisatory, it's just, it's just an idea. You know, he, he has this statement and then all of a sudden comes out this, this florid passage. I, I think that's improvisatory, that's improvisation. And I think if, you, if classical musicians knew where the improvisation exists within the rigid nature of classical music, their performances would be that much more interesting and unique. Um, now what what the second stage of world music for me is the ability to take tango and gypsy and American jazz and amalgamize them. into something new and unique. Now, this second stage is completely, Uh, It it, it completely corresponds with my nature and my purpose and my compositional process, my protean nature. Where am I going with studying tango and trying to write authentic tango based on on its ancestral dance forms, the Milonga and the Abanera. So you study these ancestral dance forms and you learn the knowledge, you know, what separates, what makes them idiosyncratic and unique And then you try to add your own adjective onto it. So it sounds caliendo, it sounds unique. It has a different kind of energy. And now you share that musical experience with your performer. And now it it has forced the composer, if that's the correct word, to take a look at, let's say, alegria. Ba-da-ba-ba, ba-da-ba-ba-ba, ba-da-ba-ba-ba, ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Now one could call that flamenco, south of the Iberian Peninsula. And then all of, and then the melodies da-da-da-da-da-da, ma-da-da, Now that's a samba. So we went from two measures of flamenco, then into samba, and in the middle is this solo section, which is purest 1970s jazz fusion, which segues into American folk music back into the, 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 the main verse. The trick here compositionally is for me and what makes it intellectually interesting is how do you make that music sound totally cohesive so the audience doesn't necessarily hear these various world music uh, uh, styles, but they become their own thing, they have become caliendo in a sense and that's where I'm at now after 20 years of writing you know tango and gypsy and flamenco all these different styles jazz all the different types of jazz but now combining them to create this this second stage of writing um has produced some very fascinating and refreshing results you know in in my compositional process
0: it's I'm staggered by the amount of pieces you've written I mean not just for flute you say 300 pieces that's that is staggering and incredible. But um, you've written for so many different combinations. You've written for film, for TV, for you've written sacred music. Um, you've written so many, so many different, uh, for so many different genres, so many different styles. Prolific doesn't quite come close to what you've been doing in, in, your, in your career so far. What are, you, what are you doing at the moment?
1: Yeah. <laughs> Taking care of a five-year-old meteor. Um, I, I, uh, it's a good question. And during COVID, when performance, or, many things stopped. But many things were created. Many opportunities came. Um, one of the things I, I wanted very much to do was to take my corporate career as a commercial banker, um, which I was forced to pivot into, in 2002 as a result of the Japanese financial crisis and some things that happened in my personal career, some bad decisions I made, um, was to take the network and the knowledge I gained as a commercial banker and apply it uh, for the flute musician during a time when COVID literally enhanced the the already top four pain points that young musicians were facing today. These are x-generation musicians who I did a survey to about a hundred young musicians throughout the world. And the top four pain points were lack of jobs. This is the classical musical market, lack of jobs, the anxieties of technologies learned in college and whether they would be applicable out of college, Um, student debt. And the fourth one, believe it or not, was life balance. Now, I never thought of life balance when I graduated college. It was the world's your oyster, go out there. I couldn't wait to get out of college and become a composer. I never thought about a sustainable life. You know, What is my life gonna look like 40 years from now? Um, how am I gonna pay my fixed and variable costs navigating the world, doing what I love to do in case I encounter the woman of my dreams and having children? Um, today's a different world. The young person is very conscious of these things and it is forcing us to revalue a music degree and f- consider other options that are more possibly practical. and. Interestingly enough, some of these options are either to, if I want to be a flutist and that's what I want to be, maybe it would be better to study with my favorite flutist privately and then take entrepreneurial courses on the side to enhance my business aptitude. Um, And that's now not just in the community voice, but it's almost an outcry. I've been on deuses, teaching deuses, and we've been talking about this. And also we've been talking about how badly education needs to be reformed. Um, you have many schools now who maintain the illusion that there are jobs out there for musicians, and there is, seems to be no empathy or compatibility to tell a musician, um, very much like if you met Brahms, one of his most famous statements that I recall is, you have talent, but very little, when a woman produ- shared her, his son as a pianist to him, and Brahms took his time to listen to him play. I mean, I think what we have now is an opportunity that I have learned over the course of my work with commercial banking and some of the great network I have and the rise of right brain dominance as prophesized by the great Daniel Pink, the author of A Whole New Mind. When Oprah Winfrey heard this book, read this book, she bought 5,000 copies for her employers. And he basically shows valid proof that the MBA is the new and the MFA, excuse me, is the new MBA that the corporate world is now in dire, in demand need of creative people. That your comp- your corporate competition now, the competition uh, noteworthy in sharing in market share, is dependent upon highly creative people that think out of the box, have great collaboration skills, great communication skills, great attention to detail skills, and the long line of soft skills that go with that are inherent in creative people. So what I've done this year was to create um, a, a, well, the 2D Flute Academy. I started in 2017, as you know, and this academy originally was created to provide success tips from the greatest flute professors in the world to help young flutists not only learn, but lessen the years of marginalized thinking that could occur from bad choices. Um, So I always had this notion in mind is how to help young musicians think with a different way, a different approach um, to lessen those those years of stagnation that can result from bad choices, bad teachers um, and a market that's shrinking. So I'm now adapted into a brand new 2D Academy, uh, an online membership program where I take not only those great flutists like yourself uh, to teach success tips Um, and their own personal stories, which you don't hear when you go to the NFA convention. You don't hear personal stories and testimony when you go to concerts, you hear the music, but you don't come to an understanding of what choices these great flutists made right after college. What were the choices they made to become who they are today? They are success stories and they're not heard by young musicians and they can be extraordinarily inspiring. But also we have an adjunct faculty of corporate CEOs and MBAs who teach all the basic business skill sets, wealth management, the interview process, how to create an effective resume, how to create an effective LinkedIn profile, um, how to incorporate your soft skills into the world of industry, how do you analyze business trends, Oh, and so many more topics now are provided through membership to the 2d academy so you can have a proportioned lifestyle the student can study privately and come to the academy and get all their business skill sets there under the guidance of, of people who have achieved it, you know success in the corporate in, in the business world
0: well it sounds like an incredible resource this 2d academy how would uh people find this what's the website
1: yeah the website is the number two the letter t and that word that conjugation comes from the italian tutti um, but the number two the letter t academy.com and um those who register uh get the course identity towards autonomy for free it's inherent in membership but that's one of the specials we are we are offering and this is very important um for me and for our staff who created the 2D Academy is that the musician has to go through an initial course training where they learn three techniques on how to develop their unique musical self. Now, what this means is we live in a world of emulation, Claire. We live in a world where musicians, you know, we can't help it. I mean, certainly in the United States where we're so westernized, and, and you know, everyone is in tune, interested in being first prize winner for the photo for Instagram and YouTube, and we're kind of inundated with this sense of um, artificial self-growth. And I I think it's so important now to go back to the chassis of who we are, the the topography of our soul, those unique things that start in childhood that show remarkable stability over many years that shape our habits in our adulthood. We've lost touch with that. And this particular course, course, excuse my New York, but there's my New York. This course trains you with three proven techniques. And it's transformational for people. For instance, one of the techniques is called themes, and I've worked with Jackie Chan on this. And I, I had asked Mr. Chan, you know, when I when I have a great fortune of working with superstars like this, you know, what are the three things in childhood that really help shape who you are today? And and he was very candid. He said, you know, I was born in uh, Bangkok, China, whatever, and I I developed. Uh, acrobatic skill sets, and I started educating my body. And then I saw Buster Keaton in the in the in the famous seminal silent film, The General, and I fell in love with comedy and filmmaking. And then in 1973, Enter the Dragon, I I I, I discovered Bruce Lee. So I combined them all, and that's who I am. And that was the illumination that that really s- started to engineer my mind. To, can that be taught? can that be acquired? Can that be learned by people today? A simple technique. So I was teaching at a, um, a middle school and uh, this concept, it was actually called composing success back then. It's gone through various permutations, but there was this young Japanese girl sandwiched between two uh, two other boys and she didn't have enough courage to 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 uh, in, in, in include herself in the Q&A, but afterwards she came up to me and said, Mr. Caliendo, I I just love what you're talking about. And I said, well, why don't you share with me some ideas that you have about the things you you love and and let's talk. So she said, well, I, I love the human mind. I just love, I'm fascinated by psychology and I love the piano and I love late 19th century romantic literature. So I said, well, let's combine them. What do you see? What do you get? So for this young person, What typifies a recitalist, especially a pianist, is you walk on stage, you play the sonata, there's no communication with the audience, and you walk off stage, right, and you memorize the music, right, typical recitalist. So she instantly said, I can read more and research about the composer, I can share that with the audience, and just play maybe one movement of a sonata, and suddenly paradigm shift. She became conscious of herself. She saw herself. She started to see what clothes she would wear, what pieces she would play, and how she would market herself. She was off and running. And this is the things we teach at the academy, things that are, are not necessarily taught in college, but everyone's so unique. And we talked about this on our video blog. Everyone has their unique tone, their unique sound, um, but everyone has their unique self, their unique personality. And if musicians started to train themselves from the inside out, they would find the website, the music they play, the clothes they wear, the marketing, the vision, and then we rudder you with business skills so you can have a sustainable vision. And this this is part of what we truly believe is our credo, the foundation, the bedrock for the academy is to get to know yourself first, that unadulterated truth, and through that unadulterated truth, you can enhance and transform the lives of others.
0: Well, it's... It has been a huge amount of work for you and I said a, a great resource and I had a quick look at the website which looks wonderful so I encourage everyone to go and go and have a look and a read up. Great, great project. I wish you lots and lots of success with it. Yeah. Now, as that sort of almost sort of that sort of up and running, what are your plans, what are the other plans have you got for this year?
1: Well, we uh, well, uh, God bless England. I I was sharing with you b- before this talk that I, I composed a, a musical called Wallace in Windsor. Uh, uh, this I'm sorry, 2020. I'm still f- finishing the the final 21st song. Um, the 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 body of people behind this are a New Jersey theater. It's a family, the Bross family. They've they've written about 17 off-Broadway musicals. And I happened upon uh, the son of Johnny Bross, who is the mastermind behind these 17 musicals. She's the lyricist. Her daughter, Jennifer, writes the stories. But she adapted the Wallace and Windsor story, The Stuttering King Birdie, The Abdication for Love. Uh, into a wonderful, wonderful, marvelous musical. And I happened upon Eric Bross, the son of Johnny Bross, who is a well-known Hollywood director. I've known him off and on for a number of years, but he attended one of my film premieres uh, with Quentin Tarantino's Theater in Beverly Hills, uh, the new uh, Beverly Cinema. Um, and they were showing a 30-millimeter print of Major Dundee, which I rescored for Sony. And Eric grabbed me after the performance and had me in the in the lobby for a 45 minutes and said, we've got to meet and have lunch. I want to introduce you to my mom. And that's how it all started. And eventually I did get a chance to speak to Mrs. Bross. And what unfolded was a real love affair with this with this remarkable lady of the theater. And and you just don't find these lyrics in Broadway. I mean, Broadway's changed, but they really harken back to uh, the old theater days where lyricists... Uh, were just magical in terms of their wordsmithing. Um, I, I just fell in love with the, with the book. So the music came out very quickly. And I'm happy to say that we had a Kickstarter that raised $38,000 in, in the early times of COVID to launch the LA Backers presentation, which we will do in August, September this year to a, a group, a small group, constituency of investors and producers. And there's no real prescription to getting a musical on Broadway. I think our practical um, goal is, is practical to get an off-Broadway, um, run on, in various different geographies. And we certainly hope Le- uh, England as well, where, where <laughs> its home base is. Um, but the idea then is to have a New York, uh, backers presentation. A backers presentation is basically a sit-down kind of presentation. It may or may not be in costume. And then through developing that re- network, uh, you, you. People know people and you manage to get the, the the equity, the actual book, bought and produced. So in Broadway, your, your average Broadway today, musical costs between two and eight million dollars to mount. So that's a and there's a lot of politics there, I'm sure. That's a big picture idea. But we think we have an excellent shot at, at, at an off-Broadway uh, series, you know, uh, and in, in a number of different uh, opportunities. So we'll, so we'll see where that goes. But that's been t- raising my son, of course, my five year old. Um, I think this year, we've always been a relatively um, minimalistic family outside of three libraries in the house, which my wife would certainly like me to sell most of my books, but I'm a man of simple means. Um, we have a lovely home here at Puddingstone Lake, and uh, we have a lovely life, and, but we started to sell stuff and minimize and find all kinds of unique ways to, um, to lead an even more you know, uh, simple life. Um, outside of what goes on in my head, but it's, it's been a really, we've been very lucky. We've had a very intimate experience as a family and we found new ways to, uh, to work together, new habits, new experiences. And, um, we've been, we've been very blessed. Fortunately, nobody in our family has been, uh, my sister, Susan had COVID in Brooklyn, uh, but she got over it relatively quickly, um, and in terms of my musical aspirations um, after this year, certainly developing the 2D Academy, we just hired a social media content person. Um, I hired a marketing um, uh, strategic manager two weeks ago. We meet every Thursday night. Um, and once this thing starts to fulfill memberships and we're blessed and fortunate to uh, get a following, uh, it, can, it can be scaled in any number of ways. Uh, my, my goal ultimately is to get on TED Talks and to have universities endorse it. Uh, you know, colleges of music um, to really adapt it. Uh, we are looking at Ohio State now and Orange County Education System uh, to endorse the two D Academy and what we're what we're doing and what we're teaching. Uh, the, the course has a variety of curriculums. You can choose your curriculum and navigate it however you wish. We it's unlike a school where you have SAT scores and you have this application process. You don't have that at the two D Academy. Um, you can, on your own provocation, there's no one's looking over your shoulder per se, but the content is specific to the curriculum you choose. You can also choose your, through the search engines, your, your author, as we call them. Claire, you would be an author. You're a professor, you would be an author. Um, so someone may want to follow Claire Southworth and all the content applicable to Claire. Um, there's also a way that you can search through the type of content. So we have web television, audio eBooks. We've got uh, video blogs. We, we, we have fun filler stuff like my Italian recipes that I use to help pay off my student loans in Boston. Uh, CD tracks, everyone gets two for one forever sale at Cali as a Publishing. There's, there's a lot of content every month, but we want to help people uh, at a very minimal cost per month. And, and then there are there are, other, there are flagship memberships where you get to train personally with me one-on-one that are maybe more expensive, but they're more, those programs are, are very intense. So if you wanted to come to me and study my flagship online course called Octivate, that's a six week program that will lit- we literally teach you through our faculty, how to take your core creative skills. Let's say you were successful in your creative career and now you're looking at marriage and children and you realize COVID has wiped out a great deal of your income and you wanted to see how you could parlay your creative skills into the world of industry, then you would wanna take Octavate as a course. And if you wanted to have me as a one-on-one to train you through it to avoid procrastination and enhance accountability, that's an option. So the Academy has a lot of different variables to it, different ways you can go through it, but the simplest is the Tango membership. It's $27 a month and it provides a great value, I think.
0: I don't know how you find the time to do all these things, Christopher. You're a shining example of how to be creative in difficult times and your energy is contagious. Um, And I want to thank you for your contribution to the flute repertoire. It's, It's enormous, absolutely fantastic and some fabulous music which uh, we need to promote a little bit more, I think. We need to, we might have to have a, a Caliendo Flute Festival. <laughs> we could fill the time.
1: <laughs> we could Fill the time. I, I'm very humbled by what you just said. I think you're the first person in the whole flute world that said that to me and um, I take it very seriously.
0: Yeah, well, well I, I'm I'm very sincere about it. I'm you know I'm I'm truly grateful. So because it's given me so much pleasure, and I've played so many of your works, yeah. and may you continue to write lots more works. We will look forward to to them with with uh, great anticipation. Uh, thank you for talking to me. It's been wonderful to hear your insight into to writing and your tuti academy and and how you've been coping. Thank you so much for giving up your time. It's been wonderful to talk to you.
1: Same here. And if I'll end with this as a hopeful moment of inspiration for everyone listening, don't forget your Dante. Segue um, il tuo corso, ma lascia le gente, which means follow your course and let others talk.
0: Wonderful. Thank you, Christopher. Goodbye for
1: now. Goodbye, dear lady. Love you. Ciao, ciao.